Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. I like structure. I like being organized. I like having a plan. I like following a plan. Uh, I, I like it when a plan comes together. Um, I, I like a plan. And, and what I don't like is when somebody changes my plan. Um, I get upset. I get angry. Um, sometimes I say things and do things that I shouldn't do because I'm upset. And, and then I have to remember that someone else has a better plan. Uh, but I, I'm organized like that, and uh, because of that, it is a challenge sometimes. I, I guess I got that way from my father. My dad, Frank, uh, Army chaplain, um, we were mostly stationed on the East Coast, and our family grandparents were always in Idaho and Oregon. So about every three years, we'd take a 30-day leave between duty stations, and dad would take us out, and we'd visit family in between assignments. And what I didn't know until later was that my dad would mail them an itinerary. Uh, he, he would tell them every place we were going to stop along the way, when we would arrive at their house, and, and he might even have things that he wanted to do. Uh, but those itineraries were famous with my family, and my dad always arrived within five minutes of when he said he was going to arrive. When, when we were little and driving in the car, the car only stopped for two things gas or food and you had to plan everything around those two things uh, and and so I guess I absorb planning and structure from that uh, my my extended family knew that if my dad didn't arrive within five minutes of when he said he was going to arrive that something had happened and that there was some problem that we'd had along the way uh, he, he was notorious for that but you know that life has a way of throwing curveballs at us and things don't always go the way that we plan. And, and God has a way of breaking into our plans and disrupting them. And Christmas is one such interruption. One breaking through of the world's plans with God's plan. You know that it's the plan of the world to divide people. And our culture is great at doing that. And, and you know the categories very well. Uh, we divide along color lines. We divide along language lines. Uh, we divide even along religious lines. And uh, sometimes we divide according to employment or economic status. And we divide along any line that looks different. We're ready to separate and categorize and label and put people in a pigeonhole based on all these other external things. In our world, there are always those who have power and those who don't. There are always those who have uh, wealth and those who don't. And there are always those who have influence and those who don't. This is the plan of the world to divide us and separate us, but it is not God's plan by any means. He sees each one of us as precious, belonging to the same family, and he recognizes our anguish and our hurt and our 
and he weeps over our brokenness and loss, and he is moved by compassion to be present with us. Uh, this morning we're going to look at the story of the shepherds in the Christmas story. It's in Luke 2, uh, 8 through 20. And before we get there, I would invite you to get your Bible out. Maybe it's on your phone or other electronic device, but get that out and hold it up and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is written for us. We thank you for your living word uh, that is Jesus that is given to us. We ask, Father, that you would uh, open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear and receive what you have for us this morning and that you would bless us through Jesus Christ in his name. Amen. Well, let's look at the story. Luke 2, 8 through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Well, our anchor verse for this series, he came for all, has been John 3.16. And uh, Beth uh, reminded us, uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And in the last uh, sermon of the beginning of this series, we were reminded that God's love for the entire world leads him to give his son so that we may have life. And that the prayer that we are praying is, Come, Lord Jesus. He came for all. And the shepherd's uh, story gives us uh, uh, an inkling, uh, a glimpse into how uh, God comes for all people. First of all, I want to remind us that these shepherds were chosen. Uh, verse 9 of this story says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. God could have sent the angels anywhere to anyone, but he chose the shepherds out in the fields by Bethlehem. And so they are chosen. Um, shepherds as a class of people are considered unclean by the Jewish people. You know, when you take care of sheep and you spend your time with sheep and you clean up after sheep and you deal with all the problems that sheep have, you begin to smell like sheep. And that's not a pleasant aroma to be around people. 
So that was one mark against them. The other thing is that sheep require tending every day. And often these shepherds were in the fields, uh, especially in the spring and summer and in the fall, uh, and the, the sheep were not in the pens until uh, the wintertime. Uh, but being out with the sheep means that you can't come in for Sabbath services. And so that's another mark against shepherds, that they're not really all that re religious based upon their pattern of church attendance, if you will. And... Uh, the other thing is that their reputation in society is so disreputable that there is a rule that says shepherds can't be uh, a witness. That if, if you need someone to bring witness for you in, a, in the legal system, if a shepherd's the only one that saw it, you're out of luck because they can't bring witness. They can't testify. They're legally considered by nature to be liars, to be untruthful. Uh, to make up things, uh, not to speak words that are wise. And so these shepherds are discounted by their society. Now, sheep are valuable. Uh, they're useful in the sacrificial system. They're needed in that system. And their wool and their milk is also important economic uh, means in the society. And yet the shepherds themselves are not so appreciated. I find it ironic that these shepherds in the fields by Bethlehem are not just watching their sheep, but rather they are watching the flock and the herds that belong to the temple. That the lambs that are born to these sheep are destined for the sacrifice system in Jerusalem. And isn't it ironic that these shepherds are the one who hear the testimony and the witness and behold the birth of of the one whom John calls the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That these shepherds are the ones that bear witness. You know, Jesus, when he ministered among us, spent his time with the people that were on the margins. He spent some time with Pharisees and Sadducees and wealthy people. But most of his ministry was spent with people that society had said were not important. That you can write them off, that they're insignificant, that they have no value. And so Jesus spent his time with tax collectors and notorious sinners and prostitutes and people that had demons and people that were uh, lepers. That's who Jesus spent his time with. And as he did that, he is uh, telling them and showing them and demonstrating to them that God loves them and that God chooses them and that God welcomes them. You know, there were lepers that Jesus cleansed and he not only spoke a word over them of cleansing, but he actually touched them. And to be a leper required that you would say, as you're moving about, unclean, unclean, so that people were warned so they could step out of, their way, out of your way. And that as a leper, you were cut off from your family and from society, and that you were no longer touched or hugged or welcomed in any way. And for Jesus to touch them was a powerful blessing. Jesus cast out demons 
Everywhere he went, there were people that were afflicted with demons. And, and Jesus cast those demons out. But you know also that Jesus went out of his way to go over the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, to the Gentile country, and there he cast out a demon? Jesus goes that extra distance to demonstrate that all people are under God's care, that he seeks and saves anyone and everyone. And when Jesus is calling his disciples, he, he chooses people that are on the margins. Fishermen from Galilee. A tax collector named Levi, whom we know better as Matthew, who wrote one of the Gospels. A freedom fighter. And, and even a half-breed person like Judas, whom Jesus made his treasurer and gave charge of the money bag. Uh, to this person. Jesus is going out of his way to demonstrate that God is seeking after people that the rest of society has written off, but God hasn't. And Jesus is supported by many different kinds of people, by women, some of whom he has cleansed and cast out demons, such as Mary of Magdala, and Luke reminds us that Joanna, the wife of Chusa, of Herod's, Herod's, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, wealthy people who'd been touched by Jesus and who give out of their means to support his ministry so that Jesus doesn't have to worry about food and shelter and clothing and all the necessities of life so that he can minister. And these people are the ones that are taking care of his group. You know, there is a great lie that we tell ourselves. We hear a message like, he came for all, and we say, yes, he came for all, except for me. Do you hear that lie? Somehow we puff ourselves up in such a way, you know, negatively, that we're so bad, that we're so sinful, that we've done things that are so wrong, that we've been so opposed to God, that there is no way that He has power to reach down into our life and make a difference for us. Are you really greater than God? I don't think so. The truth is that God cares about each one of us. And there is nothing that we have done that prevents Him from having His effect in our life if we're open to it. He came for all, every one of us, regardless of what status the world might put us in, no matter what label the world might put over us, no matter what pigeonhole the world might put us into, Jesus came for every one of us. And every one of us can belong to the Father. John 15, 16, Jesus speaks to us. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We've been chosen by Jesus. He values us. He knows us. And he is at work transforming us so that we can be partners with him in the work that he's doing. And it's the Father who qualifies us. Paul writing to the Colossians at chapter 1, verse 12, 
in, in the midst of a long sentence says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Our Father declares that you are qualified, that you belong, that you and I are involved with God. And if the Father has qualified each one of us, who are we to say no? Who is the world to say no that God's wrong? Our Father has qualified each one of us, and therefore we've been chosen and we belong, and He's chosen us. Just like He chose shepherds in the field, fishermen on the lake, a tax collector, and many, many more people, Jesus chooses you and I to walk with Him, to spend time with Him, to engage in mission with Him, and to become intimate with Him. We have been chosen by Jesus. And these shepherds were sent. In verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. See, the shepherds were overwhelmed that night. The angels appeared to them, and they were feared. They were filled with fear. The angels spoke to them, and they were amazed. Uh, the heavenly host sang to them, and they were filled with awe and wonder. And their immediate response was this. Let's go to Bethlehem and check this thing out. We want to see it for ourselves. We've heard about it. We're amazed by it. But let's go. Do you realize that it had been 400 years from when Isaiah spoke of the coming of the anointed one? And that they had just received the message that this long hoped for, longed for Messiah was finally here. And they wanted to go and see this event but if you look at the instructions in this passage that the angels gave to them, it's not very specific, is it? You know, it's not a list of directions like you get on, on Google Maps that you, you go this place and turn right, you go three blocks and turn left, and, and then your arrival destination is on the left. It's not like that at all. Uh, they just know it's Bethlehem, they know it's a feed trough, and they'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. That's not very specific. And so in the middle of the night, I'm imagining 3.30, 4 o'clock, these shepherds are running into Bethlehem, waking up the guards at the gate to get in, and then they're pounding on doors and knocking. Do you have a baby in there? Do you have a newborn? We're looking for a newborn baby. I'm sure the people of Bethlehem are saying, what are these crazy shepherds up to? What kind of a prank is this? They're waking us up. About a baby? Yeah, about a baby. It's not a baby. It is the Messiah that we're looking for. Is there a baby in your house? And they're going through the whole village of Bethlehem, waking everybody up, looking for the sign that they've been given. And they finally find the baby. And they find Mary. And they find Joseph. And everyone that they have talked to is amazed and filled with awe and wonder that the Messiah has finally come. And Mary is taking all of these things in, keeping them deep in her heart, 
treasuring them and pondering them, uh, ascertaining what they might mean uh, to her. You know, we too are on a mission from God. John 20, 21, Jesus said to his disciples, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And our mission is to simply bear witness to the things that we have experienced. So we don't have to be theologians. We don't have to know our Bible extremely well. We don't have to, to be able to give an argument. We simply need to share the story of what we've experienced. And when you talk about your experience with Jesus, no one can take that away from you because you're the authority of your experience. Now, they might ignore you. They might not believe you, but they can't argue against it because it's your experience. It's your story. It's something that you have encountered and experienced, and you're sharing that, and they can either accept it or reject it, but your story is your story. And so we simply need to bear witness to what we've experienced. Our Father's grace, all of us have experienced the grace of the Father. Our Lord's compassion for us, oh yes, we've experienced that. Jesus has been compassionate to us. And the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to work through us, yes, we've experienced the Holy Spirit being at work in our life, doing things that we thought were impossible, but yet they have happened. And we can bring testimony and witness to that. You and I have a story to tell. How we were lost and Jesus found us. Uh, we have a story to tell of how we were forsaken and how we are now loved. We have a story of how we were impoverished and, and now in Jesus we're filled to overflowing. And it doesn't matter what people think about us. Sure, they might think we're strange. Um, they might not believe in God, but certainly God believes in them. Uh, they might not trust in the spiritual dimension of life or might not even recognize it. Uh, and, and yet, we can speak to that because we've experienced it. And people need to hear our story so that they can respond to God's love for them, so they can find welcome in the kingdom, so that they uh, may have their brokenness healed, so that they may have their wholeness restored. When we tell our story, we give hope and encouragement that have happened for us, it can happen for them. And so we need to tell our story. And no one else can tell our story. I can't tell my wife's story. I can't tell your story. But you can. I can only tell my story because it's personal. It belongs to us. And if we do not share our story, who will? And so the shepherds became a witness to the birth of the Messiah. And then these shepherds engaged in worship. They worshiped the Father. Uh, verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You know, this season of Christmas is busy. There are all kinds of events that we engage in. There's all the decorating to do, uh, the gifts to purchase, the events to attend, the family gatherings to prepare for. And all of this preparation can leave us empty, frazzled, and on edge. 
The shepherds were busy watching sheep, but they set that aside to go into Bethlehem to find Jesus. And when they did that, they became changed people. And they came back worshiping and praising the Father. They were changed by that encounter. And because of that encounter with the Holy, they began to worship. They were drawn into worship. Jesus told the woman at the well, John 4, 23 and 24, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so these shepherds simply engaged with worship on their way back to the sheep. They were glorifying the Father. They were praising God for what they'd seen and heard. Do you know that worship is not connected solely with a location? These shepherds didn't have to go up to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. They didn't even have to go to the synagogue in Bethlehem to worship. They could do that on their way to the fields where there were sheep. Because whenever we praise God, whenever we worship God, whenever we bow down before Him and lift Him up and acknowledge His sovereignty over us, any place that happens becomes holy. Because God has entered in there and He is with us. And so any place can be worshipful. Any location can serve to bring glory and honor to the Father. Any heart can be that place where we can lift up praise and glory. And when we do that, the Father's present and He is powerful. And so they were worshiping and praising the Father on their way back. In this season of Christmas, with all the busyness that is a part of it, I hope that you will take time, the time that it takes to feel the wonder of this season, to take the time to worship our Father, to praise Him and glorify Him, because, all, because of all you have seen and heard. You see, all of the activities of this season, all the tasks that we assign ourselves are not simply there for the task. They're tools and opportunities that draw us into the deeper meaning of Christmas. And if all that we do is focus on the task and take care of that, we'll miss out on the deeper meaning. We'll miss out on the awe and the wonder. And so I hope that you will take these tasks of Christmas, because they're significant, they're important, they need to be done, but that you would use them as tools to draw you in deeper to the awe and wonder of the season, to look at the birth of Jesus the Messiah, and to behold your King, to see in Him the one who brings wholeness and life, and that you can worship him and praise him because all of you have seen and heard. We are chosen, we're sent, and we're called to worship. I invite you to stand as your able worship team if you would come and uh, join us on the platform.
what would it be like for you if you and I were open to breakthrough? If you and I were open to, to breakthroughs that God is bringing to us, those moments when the ordinary is shattered by the Spirit, those opportunities when the Father shines through our busyness, those slices of time in which miracles would happen. What would it be like if you and I were open to the movement of the Spirit? Not just longing for such times, but open to them, watching with expectancy, willing to change our direction and plans. What would it be like if you and I could really see, not simply with our physical eye, but with spiritual eyes, the activity of our Father, with the eyes of our heart, how the Spirit is moving in us and around us. I believe that our life would change dramatically, that we would discover that we were in tune with the Father, that we were in harmony with the movement of the Spirit, that we were connected to the work of Jesus in this time and place. Imagine what it would be like for all of us to not just know with our head that the Father is able to work, but to connect with his actions right now, to be in harmony with the work of the Spirit in these moments, to allow the Father to move through our plans to accomplish his own agenda. What would it be like for all of us if we were fully open to the unexpected, to be able to respond in the moment? to not be upset by change, but to embrace the Father's will and work in each moment, to allow the busyness of this season to lead us to divine encounters, to lead us to moments of worship and praise, to lead us to respond with our Father's grace in all circumstances. If that were true for us in this season, I believe that our Father would bless all people through us. Would you pray with me? Oh, gracious Father, we thank you for who you are, that you are breaking through the physical and manifesting the spiritual for us, that you are present in a powerful way in our midst, and Father, we want to give you our praise and our worship and our glory because you are here and you are loving us in Jesus Christ and you are drawing us closer to your heart moment by moment. Father, I ask that you would, would bless each one here, that you would help our spiritual eyes be open, that our spiritual ears would be open, that we might apprehend and hear what you are doing, and that we would say yes and join you in the doing of it. That we might be your people in this place. Thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Got some action steps for you. First one is be open to unexpected encounters with the Father. And then I want you to pray that your eyes would be open to them. And then give praise and glory when you notice them. Amen.